the very fact of living in cooperative community on the earth together uh, is itself uh, a gift to many people in our culture. Hey everyone, it's Raghu with Mind Rolling, and I'm about to uh, introduce you to uh, someone I haven't talked to or seen in uh, decades. Let's just leave it at decades. Ahad Cobb. Ahad, welcome to the show. Thank you for this invitation. So, uh, Ahad is... uh, has a, has a uh, a memoir that basically I just said to him, it's like uh, uh, certainly in parts of it we were we were in the same zone all the way back from the late '60s. So it's been quite, quite a ride and beautifully written and connective. Uh, this book is it's called Riding the Spirit Bus: My Journey from Satsang with Ramdas to Lama Foundation and Dances of Universal Peace. And it's just chock full of of adventures. Uh, really lovely, lovely. So thanks for being here. And uh, let's, let's just get it. Uh, let, I think let's give people a background a bit of your growing up. And, you know, obviously now I have a, a, a more, way more of an understanding of uh, what uh, what you what that background was and how you came up with parents and the social atmosphere that you were brought up in. Why don't you describe that? Because that certainly it's a little like me. I uh, we both had despotic kind of fathers, strong willed, absolutely. I mine got saved, and I'll tell you that story. But um, yeah, go ahead and. Tell us where you grew up and what was happening. Well, I grew up on the East Coast in a uh, <clears throat> upper-class, middle-class, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant family in the 50s with um, uh, conservative European values. And um, and at the same time, uh, my parents were isolated from the small town in which they grew up in. Uh, So there was no extended family. It was a very nuclear family. And um, the the emotional, um, you know, the heart, the emotional expression and connection was not very great. Uh, The Mm. mind, the mental was very much emphasized and um, sent to the finest schools, uh, developed an excellent mind um, for processing information. And um, this kind of ended up at a dead end. Mm. Um, As far as that went, there's an incident in my book in which, I mean, I was always at the top of, uh, my class, and this was always how I found value in the eyes of parents and society. And there was one time in college I went and um, I just sat way back in the stacks where you could, um, it's like where there were, you know, all the stacks were. Uh, they were just like boards on the floor. So you could sense or even see all the stacks up for many stories high. And I just sat there and I meditated on, I grokked all the knowledge that was in the library and all the books that could be read and all the prized information that I was so good at memorizing in the short term. Mm. And I just came up absolutely empty. Like, I devoted my whole life to something and there was nothing there for me in all that information Mm, and whether cultural or political or social. And I was really, um, 
<clears throat> you know, I was really kind of at a dead end. And um, this is really where my book begins. On My memoirs begin on the road with uh, Jim Litton, with Ramesh Wardas. And Who is uh, everybody, just so you know, out there, he is part of Love, Serve, Remember Foundation. He co-wrote Ram Dass's last book, the memoir being Ram Dass. And uh, yeah, that is a big glue that ties a hut and I together. And that's a big glue. And he said, um, I said, well, let's go climb a mountain in New Hampshire. And he said, okay, let's go. Do you mind if I stop and visit a friend along the way? I'm like, okay. And we get near the friend and uh, Jim stops by the side of the road and he gathers this great big bouquet of golden rods. His arms are just overflowing with golden flowers. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, this is a very valued friend. And we walked into the door and here was this, this man sitting in white robes, and he was he was just as bright as a, as a light bulb, as like a not not just a light bulb, but he was a light. That's the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that. Mm. And so for me, that was the moment in which, um, in which the channel shifted, in which the elevator went up, you know, to near the top all at once, and I got off. I got off. I, I joined the uh, Ramda said, I'm, I'm giving a yoga camp this summer. You guys want to come? And I said, yes, I do. And <clears throat> as I was um, contemplating this conversation with you, I was thinking about, um, I got drawn into what uh, I call the Ramdas of my being. Hmm. And, um, hmm. you know, unlike many of you in the satsang, I didn't go to India. I never met Maharaji. And despite spending time with Ramdas that summer, I was never personally close to Ramdas uh, because of my own reticent type of personality. And Yet his soul so deeply imprinted uh, my being with the love, with the wisdom, with the peace. Uh, and, of course, he always said, this all comes from a Maharaji. Mm -hmm. So intellectually, I said, well, it all comes from, I always acknowledged it all came from Maharaji. But um, Ramdas was the form of Maharaji that I could see. And... Um, Indeed, during my um, during my years at Lama, I spent about thirteen years at um, alternative spiritual community, ecumenical spiritual community in the mountains of New Mexico, Lama Foundation. Where Be Here uh, Now was born. Where Be Here Now was born. Um, they often said to me, they, they said, "You know, you sound just like Ramdas." You speak just like Ramdas at the time. Yeah. And um, of course I was totally unaware of this. But there was there was there was a wisdom stream, a love stream living inside me that it had been ignited through spending time with Ramdas. And again, this this was not personal because my personality couldn't, well, not only couldn't handle Ramdas, it could hardly handle anybody. <laughs> but um and so, and then, and, and that was like my foundation, you know, the, the foundation in, in, in the love wisdom tradition is what Ramdas, what the voice of Ramdas and the presence of Ramdas brought, brought to me. Mm. And as my book recounts, I went down um, different kind of paths from many of my friends in the satsang, uh, spiritual community, dances of universal peace, uh, 
uh, Sufism, um, and then later on Jyotish, uh, Vedic psychology, uh, astrology, excuse me. And, you know, I visited the temple from time to time, and that was beautiful, and there were good connections there. There was one time, you know, maybe it was 10 years ago at, at one of the um, festivals at the temple that my friend from Lama Chen, Chen Mato, came up to me and she said, because we had, you know, by then shared like 40 years of this journey together. And she said to me, you know, Ahad, we're all here by Maharaji's grace. And... I kind of like did a, did a double take. I hadn't thought about that in a long time, but I went back and every place I had gone to, the momentum from Ramdas brought me there. And Ramdas said it was all these Maharajis doing. And so I said, yeah, yes, Jen, <laughs> we have arrived here through Maharaji's grace. Mm. Anyway, the last little thing I want to say um, in regards to that is that I was very graced to see um, Ramdas at the inauguration of the temple in uh, Taos the last time he was on the mainland. And uh, j- just a glance from him carried so much. Darshan, so much light, you know, was, mm. I mean, the whole festival, it was just all in that glance that came to me. And a few months later, um, he left his body and it all went out on the network and I went knew with it, knew that within a day. And much to my surprise, uh, Ram Dass became very alive in my being at the moment of his passing. Hmm. Um, which is why I say the Ram Dass of my being. All of a sudden, my being remembered and acknowledged everything that had been uh, awoken and resonated. And, um, you know, the voice and the heart and the peace and and all of that. And it was very intense for a couple of days. And I really felt um, his grace, the grace in my life. Um, and then, you know, I, I merged back into the mainstream <laughs> traffic, so to speak. So, um, Without yeah, so, so, so I had been, uh, you know, deeply thinking about that because... Yeah. That's that's where it all began begins for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you it's uh, you you did say he was like a TV talk show host whose perpetual guests were God, Maharaji, and himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but you know, you these words that you write is pretty much what happened to many, many, many people that Ramdas touched one way or the other. And um, you say we are all immersed just hanging out with Ramdas. I guess that was in um, in New Hampshire. In 1969, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were all immersed in a gentle, luminous, loving atmosphere as Ramdas talked of God, his guru, of the pitfalls of the ego and the bliss of awakening, the discourse flowing effortly from his mouth and hands and eyes. And Ramdas was brilliant, eloquent, intelligent, enlightening, and entertaining. I like this. A sit-down comedian telling stories about himself. <laughs> just what he did. And, uh, you know, you're just recounting as I said, you know, we all who did encounter Ramdas and continue to uh, appreciate him, and you know, we're of course being in the center of the vortex, you know, while he was alive and since he's passed. 
so many people are uh, come to us with the same story that you have, that you just wrote those words, that I had. I was in Montreal, you know, uh, just a little bit after I met him, just after you saw him that summer. I met him. And, um, and the same, um, actually, the same expression as you yourself uh, just mentioned. It 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 made uh, it was impressive. Actually, Ahad, it was how you said he became part. I mean, I, in your words, you'll say it again. But part of who he really you he became part of who you really are is one right. way to say it more buddhist way to say it maybe or or yeah i mean he 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 is that is in pre-eternity but he he resonated he awoken a resonance in my in 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 being not done not just my being but in 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 being uh there's a part in that book where i talk about um that summer in 1969 in new hampshire um, <clears throat> there were maybe 40 young people camped out on uh, his father's land and he would give darshan every day. And then in the afternoons, he would be in his little cabin and people would go and have little visits with him. Mm. And, um, and that made me kind of curious and a little, you know, kind of like I wanted to get in on it. Right. Mm. But, uh, to get in on it, I had to, I had, to, I, I thought I had to bring something. Right. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like, uh, let's just go hang out with Ramdas. It was like, uh, well, this is serious. I have to bring a serious question to him or, you know, something to chew on. Um, that's, uh, also what I used to do in, uh, sometime, well, so I would get my serious uh, spiritual questions and uh, really be holding the question, as the Sufis say, living in the question. And I would walk across the lawn, and before I was halfway there, I would hear Ramdas's voice answering exactly <laughs> what I needed to hear. And so I never even got halfway there. This happened time and time again. I mean, it was kind of phenomenal. <laughs> That's great. And... Uh, but then on the other hand, um, as I said to Ram Das, and many people have said to me, um, but gee, Ram Das, uh, you were in my dream last night. And he would say, wow, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, um, and then recently, um, a friend of mine sent me a kind of like a psychedelic, um, a guided psychedelic meditation mm-hmm. uh, video that was um, using Ram Dass's voice and mm-hmm. images and stuff like that. It was called Sitting Around the Fire. Yes, I know it well. We, we did that with John Hopkins. It's phenomenal um, meditation set to music, actually. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, I just thought that was wonderful. I mean, I've heard, well, we're all walking home together. Yeah, yeah. But we're all sitting around the fire together. Yeah. I, mean, I really yeah. love that. Yeah. And just sit around the fire. But just, you know, really just the sound of his voice just resonates so deeply. Yeah. Um, in my being. So um, those are those are my contemplations on... Mm. The Ramdas of my being, shall we say? Yeah, but you know what? It reminds me. It's something I've been thinking a lot of lately, uh, and you know, and we're finding different ways to express Ramdas's teachings, who Ramdas is, was, and ultimately what Neem Karoli Baba is about. Because uh, for most people, they they usually end up, you know, like you're a, you're at the uh, at the temple, and someone says, "Yeah, it's just Maharaji's grace," which is you know a toss off that everybody uses it's part of the spiritual jargon you know all of that not that it's as real as as real can be um and but the the reality is that um when i first 
went to India and I met Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba. I, I remember my thoughts in that moment because they were writ large, as you can imagine. But one of them was, oh, that's what Ramdas was all about. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the first several thoughts. Uh, thought of, of course, being home was the main thought. Um, but so in trying to, you know, find different ways again to connect with people about what, how you can really use this wisdom, this love, you know, that's not Ramdas's. He he was a wonderful vehicle and is a wonderful vehicle and had a phenomenal personality that lent itself to the kind of caring for others that he had. But so our uh, term is heartfulness. Mm. And everything yeah. that that signifies from kindness to compassion, um, uh, to love, to uh, generosity. He... No one had a bigger, generous heart than Ram does, you know. And again, that goes back to, that didn't come out of anywhere. You know, we, we know lots of stories about Dick Alpert and his self-centeredness that he, of course, talked about forever. Oh, I love this line in your book. Hey, if this schlub can love and be loved by God, maybe I can too. <laughs> That's great. Because uh, it's, a, I didn't, you know, these are, it's a fun way to put it, but when I first heard him, it was like, oh, okay, it's okay. These fucked up, horrible thoughts and, oh, my God, motivations and emotions, it's okay. You know, that's what I got. And that's, you know, that's exactly what, how you expressed it. Um, let's move on to the next chapter that does include uh, Ramda. Ramda sort of appears in and out throughout, throughout the book. Yeah, he uh, does. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Lama. So everybody, uh, we briefly mentioned it. Ahad mentioned that he had spent a number of years, more than 13 though, wasn't it? I mean, cause you were there off and on also. Well, it was 13 years actually living there and traveling with the group from there. And then, uh, but there was, you know, like an extended connection with the trustees and and right. after the fire for another, you know, probably 20 years. But actually yeah. living there was like 13, was 13 years. So, okay, let's, uh, you, you had the whole experience with Ramdas, the summer of love at Ramdas's father's house, uh, farm, uh, which I wasn't there then. So we would not have met. I was there the next summer. He didn't do it as long. He did a shorter thing or a couple of things. I can't remember. But I was there, you know, for a week that we hung out at the uh, at his father's farm. Um, so, um, yeah, tell us the story of how you jumped from there all the way to New Mexico. Well, um yeah, after that summer of love in New Hampshire, um, I went back, went to work, went to see Ramdas in the winter in New York. And he said very emphatically, whatever happened last summer, I'm not going to do it again. Um, and my heart sank. But he said, but if you're interested in um, getting in, a, in on something, I do have some friends who are starting this community out in the mountains of northern New Mexico. Mm. So, yeah, Ramdas steered me in that direction. And I, I may have been the only one. I don't know. And um, Lama Foundation was... Uh, a grounding in, in reality for me, a grounding in the reality of living on earth, on the earth, um, a reality of living in community with uh, like-minded souls who were uh, dedicated to, at the beginning, the phrase was dedicated to the awakening of consciousness. Mm. And um, 
everybody's quite serious and intense about their spiritual life. And there were some very, um, very, um, very beautiful souls there. Some of them artistic, uh, you know, many of them artistic music writers, but also very earthy people, gardeners and um, carpenters and things like that. And um, on the one hand, it was part of, you could say it was part of the back to the land movement in the uh, early 70s. Um, the difference at Lama Foundation was a very conscious spiritual orientation um, and a dedication to and an openness to all and respect for all spiritual paths. There wasn't one single, um, even after um, Mershid Samuel Lewis came there with the dances and Mershid Samuel Lewis asked to be buried on the land at Lama Foundation. And uh, now uh, he has this magnificent Darga on the mountainside, a, a beautiful um, Indian style construction in stone and marble and everything like that. Mm. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> Lama never became a Sufi community or a Hindu community, or it, it, it remained. It was an experiment in uh, being a home for people to find their their orientation toward uh, the divine. At the same time as sharing um, community spiritual practices, the strongest community practice um, was meditation. Mm. You know, without guidance or signature or you know it wasn't buddhist or hindu or christian it was just sit together and um sit together work together using work and food as not just to work but as as vehicles of awakening mm. and um So then they began inviting uh, teachers from various um, disciplines, Baba Haridas, Jogyam Trungpa, Reb Zalman Shah. Trungpa was at Lama? I didn't know that. Who? Trungpa? Jogyam Trungpa? Well, he, he didn't do a retreat there. He came through there. Oh, he came through. Yeah, Still. and uh, some, some people there had, had connections with him. Mm. Right, but um, I'm just saying some of the people with the more recognizable names, yeah, yeah. and um, and somehow somehow it worked, and it it uh, continues to work today, and um, which is amazing, and indeed the the practice of living in community itself as a spiritual and transformative environment for our humanity, as so many of us grew up as I did without an extended family, without a community uh, in the city with, or suburbs or, um, so, so the very fact of living in cooperative community on the earth together uh, is itself uh, a gift to many people in our culture to be uh, returned to this time. Um, so, you know, meditation, uh, chanting, so much beautiful chanting, the dances of universal peace, so much of that. And by the time I had spent a dozen years on the mountain living there. My primary practice actually became walking in the forest. Mm. Mm. And my, yeah, you know, I still did it all, but, but what I was getting deeper into was just the forest. And I can't really speak about it because the forest doesn't 
you know, it doesn't talk our language, but walking through it and and listening and just being in in the forest. I I, I used to I called it the mind of the forest. Hmm. Um, and again, this is um, a, a real gift to me to be able to um, experience that. Uh, my wife, a little while ago, she was into reading John Muir. Mm. And uh, John Muir has beautiful writings that a lot of it, which he wrote in wilderness, in forest and things like that. And his mind is so deep and so rich and so expressive with language. It's like a consciousness so much of our culture is just left behind. Mm. I'm not saying better or worse, but in large part, we've left behind this intimacy with um, the natural world. And yes, and some of us are continually called to go back and recover that and connect with it. And um that's a real saving balance for the um, super dense and rich technological urban culture that that we're all caught up in. And I mean, I can't imagine what I would do if I was a teenager now. <laughs> you know, if I was yeah. growing up in, in the atmosphere of Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and whatnot, and I mean, I would probably be totally caught up in it. I mean, that would be my Maya. Yeah. And then I would get burned out on it. And where would I go? Where would I turn to? Well, the this is why holding, like you say, the heartfulness in, 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 in Sufism, well, uh, Pirzia, we went to school with Pirzia for four years. He's the head of the Anayati order, formerly Sufi order. He says, um, Sufism is a heart to heart transmission. Mm. That's the bottom line, heart to heart. And you don't get heart to heart through technology. You get it heart to heart. And that, um, those of us who are blessed enough to, you know, live in a heart space and, and to be able to touch and share and be available. I mean, cause you know, I mean, when you're all caught up in, in the frenzy and glamor and madness and everything like that in the world, nobody's going to pull you out of it and say, this is wrong. Don't experience this. Well, maybe some people will, but I'm not going to. I mean, we're all here to experience something. And if, um, you know, if my, my granddaughter is experiencing romantic relationships with somebody in Australia, you know, that's an experience, you know, <laughs> that I never had the opportunity mm. to have. But I, I would say, though, in defense, a little bit here of uh, technology and the yeah. digital age. Uh, one thing that's true to embody heartfulness, right? To radiate heart to heart. Uh, totally, this is all. This is the reality that we would all hope to achieve in our lifetimes, where we're doing more of that and less of me, me, and self-referential kind of lifestyle. You got to clean, what, polish the mirror. Ramesh and Ramdas wrote a book, Polish the Mirror. And to do that is to find ways in which one can transform habitual patterns, neurotic tendencies, the day-to-day the -day crust that we accumulate. And the vantage point that we have is, you know, from mind-ego place and the, that eye and all of it. So Google it up. There's a billion different ways to polish that mirror. And people do do that. And, you know, the ease of which, you know, like we have a, 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 
a smartphone app called Ramdas Be Here Now every day. You can program it to give you three different wake-up calls. We call them microdose. Mm. You can microdose mm. three different times during the day, and you get an audio or a video or, a, or, or words of wisdom or something from Ramdas, and not just Ramdas, but the host of all of our friends uh, that, that we've been uh, with in all these years, these teachers, Jack Cornfield and others. And uh, that's a lovely thing. That's a little bit of a help to, you know, bring ourselves back into the moment. Walking in the woods, I, I am so with you as, as a primary practice. And I, uh, anybody who hasn't spent time, like, you know, people spend time on their cushion. And we, you know, we do our 20 minutes and we're good. Try it outside. and Walk through the woods on a regular basis and and see see how that affects you there there's a magic in there so i'm so with you and i'm glad you you mentioned that because as far as a practice to get more transparent about that heartfulness i, I think it's a powerful one and so easy and good for your health so so in, in India, mm. you know, they they call it Sanatana Dharma, perennial wisdom, and that there's uh, there's an essential um, well, there's essence, but but there's essential um, doorways to essence that. Lie, lie that that have been arrived at a long time ago, and and lie with, and persist through every earthly condition. You know, all the rise and fall of empires, the rise and fall of cultures, and this perennial wisdom, of course, can take new forms and new dresses and new appearances. But you know, soul comes out into the world. We come out into the world to experience what we experience in the world. And at least when we reach a place that I did, that we get burnt out or confused or lost or it doesn't make any sense or it's all samsara, that, that um, this return to heart, return to essence, to always be available you know, for available for humanity and for whoever is called to seek that. I mean, Krishnadas has this phrase in one of his songs that calling out the hungry hearts. Yeah. Right. Um, and so this is an invaluable. Uh, it's an invaluable um, place to be in the human configuration. Yeah, only place. And, yeah, I mean, this is what Ram Ramdas again has expressed so much throughout all of those decades, and and in this film we did, becoming nobody that featured kind of the arc of what he was representing teachings-wise over all the decades. And he says at one point, you know, when is what I want enough? When is what I need enough? It's much more interesting to serve people. Uh, you know, it's a very poignant moment in, in, the, in the film. It was the cathartic moment, I thought. Uh, but... Um, can you, since you were there at Lama, so and we're talking about people getting turned on in many different ways. I asked you how it happened for you, and it was simple. It was the same as me. It was Ramdas um, to understand there was a path, basically, and it was okay. Everything was okay. We're going to be okay. Uh, just that. And uh, 
for many, many people, Ahad, to this day, Be Here Now, still stands as an opener alongside of a psychedelic. I mean, it is extraordinary what happened, what we went through and is exactly being duplicated and the even the contextualization that if someone wrote about it, it would be the same one, you know, same side by side with us. So you were there when it happened, were you not? Be here now, got created at Lama. Um, I was. It was uh, happening while I was there. My first summer, um, I um, in nineteen seventy. Um, we were doing a lot of Adobe work. Um, we're still working on the dome and, uh, <clears throat> here I was this uh, a feet college graduate and <laughs> it was, it was all about, um, mixing mud and hauling mud and making bricks and hauling bricks. And it was the Zen of the earth plane. It just wiped my mind out totally. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, in the library, um, there were uh, a number of artists, um, Sarada Singer and um, Tenny and uh, Francis von Briesen. And there were a number of artists working on the pages for uh, Be Here Now. And I didn't really have too much of an idea about what it was because, I mean, they were just doing it and working it. I didn't. I didn't see the big picture. But Ramdas had come and dropped off a bunch of manuscripts. Somebody had, you know, Lillian actually North had transcribed his talks, and and he they were basically dumped off at Lama. Right. Right. I mean, that's that's the reality from which artists, are, you know, they had an idea. However, with Steve, I guess uh, Newark. Yeah, I think Steve Durkee was. Probably the one who did the primary editing of the text. I really don't know. Mm. Just my experience was when I showed up there, the project was well underway and nearing completion because the summer of 1970, it was published in the winter of 1971. Um, And as you know, it was uh, originally mailed out. It wasn't a book originally. It It was a pizza box. You know, mm-hmm. of, of of a collection of Vindudo different artists. kind of hand assembled uh, booklets and yeah. uh, a record. What's a record? Um, <laughs> that, it's that vinyl thing, you know. Pictures of uh, saints and things like that. And um, I arrived at uh, Lama Foundation the day after. Merchant Samuel Lewis had left Lama Foundation for the second and last time. And um, who's called Sufi Sam, everybody, because a lot of people know about Merchant. Who's called Sufi name. Sam, the originator of the dances of universal peace. And uh, he, he really loved Lama Foundation and much to everybody's surprise when he died suddenly in January of 1971, uh, he has to be buried at Lama. He spent his whole life in San Francisco. But <laughs> he, far his will was to be buried at Lama. Mm. He said, a Lama Foundation is where people practice, practice, practice what other people only preach, preach, preach. Anyway, he wanted to be buried at Lama. And uh, it wasn't Lama's choice. Lama was like, okay. <laughs> so they transported his body in a coffin across state lines. And they came up and put his body in the center of the dome. And at the same time, around the edges of the dome, there were piles and piles of these pizza boxes from Bindu to Ojas waiting to be mailed out. To um, oh really? Wow! To all the people, and my understanding was Ramdas had done a whole uh, lecture tour and said anybody who wants to get a, a book of my uh, you know a book of this, um, just sign up and we'll send it to you. I mean, it was all a freebie. 
right? It was a gift of grace. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to pay. I mean, they paid for the lecture, but uh, they had no idea what they were signing up for. <laughs> and uh, between Ramdas and Steve Durkee, it was uh, a package like, I don't want to say no other, but it was a very unusual and heartfelt and very down-to-earth package. Mm. They're printed on brown craft paper and held together with brown string. And um, so there was this coincidence then of all these um, boxes of Ramdas and Maharaji's grace surrounding Murshid Sam lying in the center of the dome, of the unheated dome uh, in the middle of the winter, well below zero. And from that point, they went up and dug a hole in the mountain, you know, for Mershid Sam to be buried. And all of the, from Bindu to Ojas boxes went out. And I don't know the... um, I don't know all the technicalities of how um, it was negotiated with Bruce Harris and Crown Publishers to publish Be Here Now as a book. Yeah, but, Bruce did uh, that, yeah. Um, that was the next step. And, um, and here we are over 50 <laughs> years later with that, that it's still having that kind of an impact is really pretty amazing. It really is. Wow. Right. And, and Lama Foundation itself was, it, it was an experiment. It was, the founders said, this is an experiment. They didn't know if it would last. They had ideals. And as the book records, there came a certain point 10 years into the foundation when uh, one of the founders uh, became uh, a quite intense Muslim convert and uh, did everything in his power to uh, have Islam take over Lama Foundation. And at that point, and, you know, I mean, here's, you know, a 14,000 year old religion with, you know, stacks of legalities and, you know, culture and literature and everything like that versus you know, a bunch of hippies who'd been together for 10 years, you know, pursuing their ideals. But not only the people, but the the friends of Lama showed up. Ramdas showed up. Uh, Wali Ali from the Sufis showed up. Uh, Henry and Susie Gomez from the Taos Pueblo showed up. And even the strength of, of just what had been formed in the first 10 years was so strong. Hmm. That um, that it wouldn't let it, it just wouldn't let um, this fourteen thousand year old religion take over. It was strong enough. Well, the fundamentalist right. piece of that, right? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, reading the book, and I didn't quite realize how. Uh, boy, that came close to becoming a fundamentalist organization and and take over what had been the exact opposite of it. It's, uh, yeah. I didn't quite realize how strongly that uh, force was in trying to take this over. And uh, But you know what? I mean, I'm a little bit familiar because you know we have stuff going on with Lama at different times obviously with Ramdas as the big connector I mean they were very you know what he did was very fortunate for Lama giving the you know half the royalties or whatever um, but uh, the whenever we have to do anything I don't know if this is this may be out of school a little bit but not really I don't know if out of that incident you know uh with the proposed takeover of lama by a fundamentalist philosophy let's just say that affected how now you you i don't mean you but lama and you were involved because you were so involved 
the consensus way that they are now running things, was it because they went completely in the opposite direction of a dictator saying, you know, do this, do that, and made it into a completely uh, an operation that's run by consensus, which is very difficult. Yeah, Ramdas did say that um, in any organization, there's a balance between efficiency and compassion. And he said, Lama Foundation is a very compassionate, um, mm. not very efficient organization. Mm-hmm. Um, no, consensus was uh, there from the start, from the very start. Oh, wow. and. Um, that was part of the ideal was, was governance by consensus. And there was some type of, uh, whether true or not, there was some type of, um, the, 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 uh, the tribal self-governance of, of Indians was seen as a model, you know, rather than a hierarchy, uh, a governance by group, by group agreement. That was that was that was there from the very beginning, and um, Steve Durkee, Nuruddin had a very dominating, inspiring, creative, autocratic type of personality, and he mm-hmm. was continually bridling against that. But at the same time, um, and no, no, so a consensus was part of the ideal from the very beginning. Uh-huh. What? Uh, the biggest change in terms of, um, well, first of all, consensus is not not just anybody who comes up the mountain instantly gets an equal say with everybody else. Right. There are a few different levels of membership before you know you get full voting power. Um, the real change came uh, when the um, the forest fire devastated Lama Foundation in 1996. And wiped out most of the buildings, most of the forest. Nobody lost their life, but the community was very devastated. Up to that point, the community had pretty much been governed by the people on the mountain. Whoever was there were governing the community. At that point, the community was so weakened and fragmented that it was seen to bring the greater circle of Lama beings in the... um, the continuing member circle, and then the trustees. The trustee, there's always been a board of trustees, but the trustees had been kind of a rubber stamp board of Mm. trustees. They went along with whatever the residents wanted. Uh, But now uh, the long-term governance is by a council with representatives from trustees, continuing members, and residents. so that both the long-term interests and the you know the immediate needs of community are met, but you know consensus has always been, and uh, consensus has also been challenged as being illegal. Right. You know be, because uh, consensus uh, can lead to one person having a veto power, and so there've been. You know, there's been a little bit of accommodation to that, um, saying, well, sometimes 80% will have to do. But um, the spirit of consensus has always been sought. And in terms of heartfelt, one of the um, roles that has been played, you know, for at least 20, if not 30 years in, in the Lama consensus meetings has been at a certain point, they saw how things could get out of hand. So in every meeting, there's a person called the keeper of the heart. And that person stays in their heart. They don't participate. They stay in the heart. But if they feel things are getting out of whack, they ring the bell. And ask everybody to come back to the heart. And that's been very salutary. It's been a good thing. Mm. No, that's great. Well, just the fact that, you know, we're talking about an organization that has uh, gone on this long, what, 55 years, maybe, something in there? 
really? Mm-hmm. Around 1967, a, yeah. A community? Like, that's yeah. extraordinary. It's really extraordinary. And been such a an influence, in, you know, certainly in combination with Ramdas. I mean, the, the birth of that book and, and its effect that's lasted to here we are in the spring of 2023, literally, is, uh, is, is extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Well, there's so many different uh, stories in the book. Here's the book, by the way. Are you riding the spirit bus? <laughs> I know. It's got a lot of little uh, colored things to pick up on things that I reminded me um, of, of what uh, I really connected with, which wasn't hard at all. I mean, <laughs> we have so many cross currents. Um, but uh, everybody, of course, this a link for you to get the book, which is uh, aside from a, a wonderful memoir and full of uh, of a lot of insights into dealing with what we all universally deal with in terms of how we've grown up and how the conditioning has affected us each a little differently, yet basically the same. Uh, in terms of all the constrictions, um, you everybody, you'll be able to relate with the HUD. It's it's really uh, quite wonderful and entertaining, as I said. Um, but you know what? We haven't mentioned one person, being, less a person than a being. Uh, and we've talked about a few, but uh, Hazrat Inayat Khan, whose son, Pirvalayat Khan, uh, I know you had uh, definitely uh, knew and spent time with. But uh, Hazrat Inayat Khan was especially great in my, um, in my limited eyes in that his expression of the spiritual through art, through creative art, both writing and, and uh, physical artwork, uh, was unique and extraordinary. And what he begot here in, in America, well, in the West, never mind America, because he lived in Europe uh, right. for a long time, um, in terms of introducing the mystic part of the Muslim tradition, Sufism, in and I know there's many, I don't know, you know, I'm not as anywhere near as familiar with Sufism as you or many, uh, many of our contemporaries. Um, so it has different channels. And I don't even know which one he happens to represent. All I know is I gravitated to, to his expression. So uh, we should, by the way, put in the show notes and listen, um, Please, a connection to Hazrat Inayat Khan and his work. I don't think we've ever introduced it. In fact, you know, maybe in another, we can do, Ahad, we can do another podcast centered around Hazrat Inayat Khan and just explore and share with people. That, that would be good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be great. But just to finish, here is, uh, that's in the book, uh, just a small poem from Hazrat Inayat Khanji. The soul has no birth, no death, no beginning, and no end. Sin cannot touch it, nor can virtue exalt it. Wisdom cannot open it up, nor can ignorance darken it. That's a great, uh, beautiful little poem from him, huh? And then, of course, right under that you have Ramdas, not a poem. Hold on tightly and let go lightly. (laughs) <laughs> and that's a little bit more practical advice, shall we say. Oh, God. Thanks so much. Great to hang out with you. And I like this. And after so long, that I really appreciate you coming on Mind Rolling. Yeah, I, I appreciate your invitation. This has uh, been fun. It's good to reconnect with you. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone, uh, as I said, hit the show notes uh, on BeHereNowNetwork.com and you'll get connections with, the, well, we just talked about Hazrat and Ayat Khan, but actually being able to order this book 
uh, because as I said, it is extremely entertaining and insightful. And uh, just go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash mindrolling and you will have access, not obviously, to everything we've been talking about and all the other kinds of podcasts that we've been doing. And, uh, and Be Here Now Network has all of our wonderful, wonderful friends from Krishna Das to Jack Kornfield, Sharon Salzberg, and much, much more, like Alan Watts. <laughs> we love Alan. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thank you, Ahad. Thank you.